Yeah, because I've. There are times when I look around, it's like, yeah, this is normal. And then sometimes, and then maybe this that explains the out of body experience. Just, whoa, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's not like a a big feeling, but it's just kind of like a voice in the back of the head, kind of like something's off, <laughs> or like you know, mm-hmm. it's still the ad- adapt like adapting to the environment mm-hmm. or just adapting to the fact that it's new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This podcast is building to a mixed-media performance installation about women's journeys and the real, imagined concepts of the present Pangea. It's produced by Lucille International Theatre Company, based in Houston, Texas. The photography in the final exhibition will be featured by Rashad Haq. The sound design and music is composed by Garrett Gonzalez. And a special thank you to Carol Keating, Debbie Bai, and all of our Kickstarter backers and everyone that has given their support to this project. I'm Melissa Flower. I'm Lisa Villegas. This is Pangea. But that was, I think, the first time I, I knew that there was chance of leaving the country. And not, not like, ooh, I'm just like, I want to, like, obviously I wanted to leave the country, but with him it was just more like, oh, I want to be where he goes, whatever adventure that takes us. Thank you for joining us this week as we chat with G. G is a visual artist who recently arrived in Houston from Egypt. <laughs> and we had talked about marriage, but not like, like not like that, but just kind of like, okay, well, if I'm going to, if we're traveling together, there has to be official. So, and I thought the process would take months, like well, a couple months, and, oh, six months at most. <laughs> but then we talked to some, lawyers like we sent like i mean this this is my situation how do we work this out They're like oh it's gonna take a year i was like oh no it was depressing because i was ready i was like oh okay you know i was ready to have my new life again especially that he was leaving mm-hmm. so we got married a couple months before he traveled we got married in june he left in august mm. So we didn't even like live like it wasn't really like everyone's like, house married life. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like he's he's we're not living we're not having that. So it was a bit tough. <laughs> and the process took a year and a half. Mm. And every So the okay, so it's in it's in parts. There's USCIS, that's the first section. And that took, and every process took the maximum amount of time. So if they said four to six months, it was four to six, uh, it was six months on the dots. Not even like a couple of days earlier. I was like, okay, cool. So the entire process took a year and a half just to get the green cards, yeah. So the first part is just gathering papers and them looking at it and being like, okay. And I think it's because I'm a woman, a female, it's not that different. And he has the American citizen, because he's half American, so he came and that was not a problem. So I think me getting married to an American citizen as a woman, it's easier. For men, it's really difficult because they just don't trust Arab Muslim men. In Egypt and abroad, it's difficult for them, especially alone. Mailing to USCIS, mailing to NVC, and just mail, mail, mail. But like the interview was the first time I talk to someone and this is actually happening Mm -hmm. I think it was in February this year like not that long ago and I went and the pro and that pro that and like because the interview is five ten minutes at most but getting into the embassy 
waiting in line, I think that whole process took four hours. <laughs> Just kind of wow. waiting for my number. And you first go, and then you give in your papers, and they're like, okay, sit back down. It's like, okay. So you sit back down again, and then they call you. And I didn't understand what the, like, she, she was really nice. Girl, I want to say girl. She wasn't, like, a woman. And she was still young. And uh, she, she asked me the questions that I was expecting. Where did you meet? Where is he now? It wasn't, like, interrogative at all. And then she's like, all right, well, you should be getting it in this much time. I was like, what? But I was, because it was been four hours, and I was just, <laughs> I wanted to leave. I was like, okay, thank you, and I left. And it was done. It's supposed to be done. But I, I was like, okay, so am I getting it? Am I not? And then I started panicking. <laughs> I think I got it in April, two months later. Because she said it's going to take, oh, it'll take less than uh, 30 days. <laughs> and it took two months. Yeah. So that's what made me panicky. But it came in, like, RMX. It got sent, and it was right next to my house, and I opened it. I was like, finally. <laughs> so... So yeah, I got it near end of April. I got here first week of May, so two weeks. And everyone's like, wait. And I was like, guys, I've been waiting for a year and a half. It's not that much of a surprise <laughs> that I'm leaving in two weeks. Uh, so yeah, and uh, here I am. <laughs> well, I was surprised about Houston. It's so green. <laughs> that was a complete surprise because movies also give you bad <laughs> Oh, you think it was like Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, it's going to be just like Cairo. <laughs> and everyone told me that, like, Houston's going to be just like Cairo. Egyptians <sighs> love Houston because it's... Hot. It's, yeah, it's hot. <laughs> you need a car. Uh-huh. Um, and food is Excel. I was like, all right. And people, Egyptians love their food. <laughs> Although there are a lot of, um, like, African-Americans who are very proud of their hair, like ancestry who will talk to me about Egypt like wow we're out we're like we're brother and sister I was like <laughs> and that's really nice I like that and I get that a lot yeah on average like two times a week maybe like if it's an uber driver if it's someone at work they love that like, yeah. I, had, I had one guy with uber and he's like so where are you from and he was a kid <laughs> and I was like from Egypt and he turned around and was like but you don't look and I was like I know we come in all shapes and sizes and color <laughs> um so Egyptians, they think America is like the gold mine. I think for any other, like, because it's that's what it was branded as for a very long time, you know, the land of the dreams. And you come here, and people <laughs> will just become successful. And in some part, there is some tr- truth to that. If you work hard, and if you're a bit lucky, uh, because I think there has to be luck as well, you will make it, even if it's just like you become middle class here which because there is no middle class in a lot of third world countries but I think most of them will just realize like I want to tell Egyptians like it's it's not like perfection you know like they're they will have issues they will have their own problems tolerating certain things they just see like you know blonde girls and (laughs) like and, and I don't know malls you know and it's not that, so I, it was just confirmed for me. It's not like, it's not like I expected that as well, but like, it's like, you know what, it's really not that. Yeah. What was it like to be a woman in Egypt? It's difficult. Um, 
It's difficult, but I think it just gives you thicker skin. But there are there are horror stories, obviously. I mean, um, but if for your everyday life, a man will like say something, or a group of men, or a group of boys, and you either have to you have three options: just ignore it. If something you heard before, you're like oh, whatever. <laughs> if it's a bit like if it's if it's close to you, you'll be like. You know, fuck off, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, and most of them do, most of them don't like trying to be like, hey, you know, you're, you're hurt, you're bruising my ego, I was like, well, it doesn't matter, just go away, no. and third option is, like, I've never really been there, but I've been close, like, like physical, like, I will punch you in the face, like, I will mm-hmm. <laughs> cause you um, pain, but I think more women are just, like, being like, you know what, this is enough. Because there's there's always been that victim at like you know like putting the victim at fault like well you were right this or well you were you know what we're expecting but it's not as bad as the newer generation they wear what they want guys and girls because guys still like you know if you still if you look just slightly metrosexual they're like oh you're feminine and <laughs> you're not what we think a man is and whatever that is. Um, so people are wearing what they want, getting tattoos, coloring their hair, and 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 I and I do realize that's the like, the rich. New generation. It's not like um, the entire population, but I think it is encouraging, and also I don't know, people usually say like oh they're spoiled and they have money, <laughs> but um, it's at least at least you see it. I think, the visual aspect is very important. And then there are other cities in Egypt, like, the more touristy, like, we have a city. It's a city now, kind of, um, called Guna, and it's just, like, a, a beach city resort. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this billionaire tycoon, what's his name, um, Nagib Suedis. He built this town, and, he's, uh, and it's right by the Red Sea, so it's a great place, and like there, they're like, oh, this does this isn't Egypt because everyone's just walking around their bikinis and drinking and partying and doing whatever it is. And the Egyptians who go to work there, like I, I once asked, I was like, because it's such a close, like they'll get someone from a small village to work in a bar, for example. I was like, and I asked the friends, like, how, how, like, how do you even train someone who's never seen this scene, and then. Uh, and they're like, oh, do you just, like, eh? there was this one bar, or one, like, cafe lounge, whatever it was, on the beach, and he was hiring this new person, and he's never seen, like, any, like, a woman's arms, I think, and uh, he's like, oh, I was like, you know what, so he told him, like, sit here, one day, look at whatever you want, do whatever you want, just look and, like, take it all in, but tomorrow, you're like, like you start work, and I and I think that that was I think that like stuck in my head because it is a visual thing. Once you see women's shoulders, it starts becoming less like tab like less whatever you know. You just get used to it. It's like yeah, their shoulders. <laughs> you know when you stare at something too long. Mm-hmm. You know when you stare at your toes too long. It's like oh you whoa <laughs> <laughs> toes. Like you know it's become it becomes less of a body part and more of a abstract. abstract. <laughs> So yeah, I think that's what Egypt means. Just and not in movies because movies 
it's a movie. Like, you know, it becomes a fantasy more than a reality. Because there's always been, there have always been feminists. And like, you know, the strong, like, vocal type. But I think with the revolution and after, it breeds like a new group of girls and women who are like, we're not, you know what? This is a revolution. It's not just a political, economical revolution. This is also a sexual revolution. Like, girls wearing like tight jeans, for example, like, you know, skinny, or whatever they're called. Um, the first couple of like, you know, times or whatever, like years, however, like, um, do you see the girl like tight jeans? And then later it's like, you know what, it's just, and it's more, it's less of a conversation. And there will be a conversation. I think if, even if there is a sexual revolution, people are going to bitch about it for years. But then once they just let it out of their system, that's it. You can't expect a woman to walk in a tank top and no one comment about it. I mean, I know it doesn't sound very <laughs> feminist, but like, just it needs to be out of, let out. It's like it's like a it's like poison that's been in the blood. You just kind of let it out. It's not gonna be easy, and I realize that. And I think people, I think some women are men as well. Like some people are wrong about thinking it's people shouldn't comment. Like that's <laughs> that's not human nature, <laughs> especially not human nature of culture that's been like this for decades if not centuries it's it's gonna be difficult and i think people just don't realize things can be difficult i just wear what's comfortable although i have a friend who wears skirts all the time and uh-huh. she's like my hero <laughs> and she's like i don't care like short skirts short skirts yeah like me oh, like, like no. okay no that's that's a bit too that's like that's pushing it (laughs) anything above the knee like this length is a bit like whoa racy okay yeah yeah i definitely no there was definitely religion in the home but it's it was more like these are duties that you must and they they tried it more as a like as a kid and i thought they were a lot more religious than they are but it's not because i think it was just kind of like uh they're just trying to get me to used to it at a young age but now they're like, please fast, <laughs> please pray. But it's kind of, it's not like, I'm glad, I'm grateful that they're the kind of people, like, as long as you're a good person and you don't hurt anybody, you're fine. But yeah, no, pre-metal sex, like, there's some things that are like, mm, no, <laughs> like, let's not even discuss this and there was no point to discuss it. Um, but they're not, they're not fanatics. Mm-hmm. My dad, my dad would, like, make a a blasphemous joke. Be like, oh. And then he'd say, like, Asafulazim, which is like, forgive me, like, for saying so. <laughs> um, but I think my dad is the one that opened. Because I think I've always been open about, like, obviously God not existing or whatever. That's a, yeah, it's a complicated subject. But then my dad, as he grew older, he's like, maybe, maybe we made it up. Maybe it's a, like, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Mm. My mom's like, I don't think about those things. But she's more, she's a practical woman. She She's more of her hand. My dad's the dreamer. <laughs> so I got the combo of both. Mm-hmm. So my mom's like, why do we question it? Just do, like, just do. <laughs> and I was like, no, let's think. Of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I want to get into tattooing. And uh, I think New York is almost the perfect place for that. There's workshops. Like, I already know one that I'm going to apply for. And uh, that makes sense to me. Because I've, for a very long time, like, I haven't really worked in art, like, exclusively since I graduated, because that's what I graduated, like, a bachelor's in fine arts. But I think tattooing is the good combo of 
there's the, the the creative aspect of it of doing designs and stuff, and then there's the just like that medit like being in a trance, yeah, and just kind of working. And I think that's a good combo. It's still it's still like not taboo, but um, it's still kind of like eh, if you do it, you're a bit of a wild, and you need to be tamed. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they know I have tattoos. My mom was not very happy, but then she, I told her like because she thought it was a karam, like like um, what's the word, like completely banned in religion. And I brought up something like, and I don't even care about religion, but like just to make her feel better, because like the three things. It wasn't even in the Quran, it was someone said. Um, it's like the three things that women should not do is pluck their eyebrows, sharpen their teeth, and get tattoos. I was like, so it's not really like a legit. <laughs> sharpen their teeth? Yeah, because like Bedouins used to, that was a beauty thing. They used to have like the three, they had like a line down and like dots. Uh-huh. And they used to sharpen their teeth because it was a beauty thing and plug their eye. Like that was like, I don't know. Someone someone didn't like women that much, and, <laughs> and he said those three. So I, yeah, I told my mom that, and she's like, fine. But then she sees I get more, and she's like, it's like stop. <laughs> How many do you have now? Four. Four. Yeah. Uh, then my dad, we were in Japan, and I, like I said, I don't really wear skirts or shorts, but we went to visit Japan for two weeks. What, a year ago, exactly, almost. I was wearing shorts, and I have one tattoo here and one here, mm-hmm. and the first one is here, but it's, I don't, it doesn't really show because of t-shirts and stuff. So we were walking, I was like, oh no, and I was really nervous, because he's never seen it. And then, I was like, you know what, he, like, he'll just see it, and like, halas, that's it. And, and he saw them, he was like, so what are those? And I was like, oh, well, this means this, that, that, that. Like, this is from Finland, and it means this, and this one means... Well. He was like, okay. And that was never spoken about again. <laughs> what do they mean? Um, okay, I'll actually start a lot before, because... Um, uh, okay, so my parents moved... Like, my dad got a, a job in Japan, and that's where I lived for a very big part of my life, um, in my early life. So I went to travel there when I... I lived there when I was maybe one years old to five. Then we had to come back for four years and go. It's like a diplomatic, I'm not sure. There's like a certain schedule. Like four years, four years, four years. So four years in another country, come back four years and go back to... That's how it is. Egypt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think I grew up not remembering Egypt that very well because I went to kindergarten. They just put me in a Japanese kindergarten. So I was semi-fluent at that age. Um, you know, for a five-year-old kid, <laughs> whatever fluent that is. And then I went back to Egypt, and I was too young to just kind of, like, understand. Again, maybe it's the transition. Mm-hmm. So I'm used to transitions because I was like, okay. But when I was younger, it, it felt like a dream. Like, I actually, I remember, like, a very, like, it's mostly visual as well. Like, I remember this, but nothing else. Like, I don't remember the before and after. Mm-hmm. But I do remember when... Uh, when there was rumors that we we could be going back to Japan, I remember my mom being like, "Don't get your hopes up too high," because I was so excited. And my mom was like, "Don't get, don't put your hopes up. It might not even be Japan. We might be going to another country." I was like, "No, we're going to Japan." I was just like, "All right." And then this is something that was very vivid. I remember where I was sitting, where she was on the phone, just kind of like how she was moving and everything. 
And I was like, we're going to Japan. That's it. And then she hung up. Like, we're going. And I was like, cool. And I had like a, a desk, a mini desk. Mm-hmm. I had my Barbies and some paper and some artwork. And I packed it. I was like, I'm ready. Let's go. Like <laughs> within an hour. And she's like, we'll have to wait a bit longer than that. <laughs> so my sister and brother were born in Japan the first time. And another brother that was young, like after me, but he died. It was crib death. So there's a lot, and he's buried there actually. So there's a lot of like our soul, and it was where my dad was successful. Like he made a lot of money, and he like you know he moved up in his job. Like yeah, Japan was just an eye-opening, mind-opening, and there. So yeah, so we went to Japan again, and I was ten to fifteen. We actually stayed five years, but something happened. We had to go back. It was kind of abrupt. Um, it was problem with work and betrayal. <laughs> That's another story. But I wasn't very happy going back to Egypt. And I was a rebellious teenager. I was 15. <laughs> I was not lashing out, but just like, there is no God. And, <laughs> and life is chaos and stuff like that. So uh, it wasn't a good transition back to Egypt. And also in that time that we were in Japan and coming like visiting or the four years we didn't realize the turmoil the country was going through, so, which leads up to the revolution in 2011. So we were back in 2003. Um, and yeah, and the corruption just became more and more. And at that point, I think Mubarak, Hosni Mubarak, how long has he been in power? Like, his family's been in power for like 30 years, and people knew, they were like, okay, and they were prepping up his son so he could be the next president. It was kind of like a monarchy, a dictatorship. So, and I was still a bit young to kind of, but I understood that there was, like, injustice that was happening. And and obviously my dad, what happened that brought us back to Egypt was part of that. So I was kind of living in a family that went through it. <clears throat> so there were smaller, not revolutions, but protests mm-hmm. for bread, for the, like, uh, they called it, like, the bread protest because... A lot of the poor, like, poor people couldn't afford buying bread or, like, it wasn't the same quality, so they're paying more for a less quality. But then I remember the revolution. I remember this very clearly because I was working with my parents. 2011, I had graduated a year. Like, I graduated university in 2010. Um, and the revolution was happening January 20, I, they say the 25th revolution, but it happened like a couple of days before, so maybe the 23rd. And I was on Twitter. I just got Twitter. I was like, let's see what this is about. <laughs> and then like posts of like, you know, this is going to be big guys. And I, I told my parents, I was like, we shouldn't go downtown. We should go around because there's going to be... And my parents were like, eh, they, they say that all the time and nothing happens. And then 25th happened and we were just on house arrest. <laughs> Everyone was like, stay at home, um, so that happened, <laughs> and, um, because like I said, all these things were happening, but Twitter just gave a voice to, mm-hmm. it's like a double-edged sword, it's good that it's revealing all these insecurities, and like, oh, sorry, not insecure, like, the all these problems, but at the same time, you have idiots just being like, well, I have an opinion too. It's like, I, I, there was a point, like I said, there was a house arrest and no one was allowed to go outside. Obviously, I had revolution, like, 
uh, friends who were like into it, like right never gone. They were out in the streets and the canisters and gas. But I was I wasn't that much into it. I was just like like I wanted to help, but I wouldn't be in the streets. Uh, I didn't see a a role for myself there. But then there was like a bubble because there was no internet. They cut off the internet and they cut off phones. Mm-hmm. The only thing that worked were landlines. Mm-hmm. And this is after like 10 years of being reliant on cell phones. Mm-hmm. It was scary, but... Yeah, it was scary, but there was times like an hour. It's like, hey, do you want to play Scrabble? Like, mm-hmm. hey, do you want to read? Like, there was this sudden sense of... We can do... S- <laughs> like, you were bored, but like, well, you know what? I, there's all these things around me I can do. Yeah. <laughs> How did I call my friend? I remember because this was... I was... Wow, that, yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. That was not even 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And suddenly... So I do feel it's globalization. Mm-hmm. Um, like, oh, why does the world come to? We hear of all these pedophiles and murderers and rapists. Like, well, no, they've been around forever. <laughs> um, we just hear so much of them because the internet and like just... It's in your face all the time. Mm-hmm. Like the problem in the Middle East, like you know, it used to be soldiers on the ground and going and like with their guns or with their tanks, and now like warfare. They say, and it's really sad because because I feel very strongly about this about Palestinians and Syrians and and whenever there's like, oh, he's a terrorist, like guys, like you you have no idea what you're what you're doing by just putting that word because now every Palestinian every. Because they feel very... I mean, I feel very strongly, but I'm, I wouldn't even compare to a Palestinian talking about their life. Like, if they get really emotional, you can't blame somebody for that. This is, you know... They probably have family that was killed by American soldiers or war. But, like... There has to be some sort of understanding. Or, like, at least... Oh, you know what? We know we fucked up. We know we caused all the suffering. We're still going to do this, but we know what happens. We understand why there are suicide bombers. Because suicide bombers don't be like, no one wants to kill themselves. They want to do it because, yeah, they want to be, they want to be, well, not just, not just that, because no one really thinks about that. No one thinks about the afterlife like that. But it's more like someone convinces, like, you have nothing else in life. But if you, if you want to you wanna have a reason in life, kill, like, kill yourself, like, sacrifice yourself. But no one, it's not like suicide. It's like, oh, man, I'm sorry about the afterlife. They, they don't care. It's. They're pushed, they're pushed, pushed, pushed until they're nothing. And then they're like, fine, I will do this because I don't feel like I'm in control of anything else. And I guess most of them feel suicidal anyways. Like. But no one thinks of it that way. No one thinks like, oh, they're depressed and they won't. They're, oh, no, they're, they're monsters. But I think the monsters are the fun, like people fund. Like people have money, be like, okay, give more money to these. But I think the soldiers who are killing themselves, I think I feel the most sympathy for them because to be tricked, for someone to tell you, kill yourself, this is a good cause, that's, that's the worst. And like I said, like, or like from Iraq, for example, like a lot of these, and I'm going to call them kids, a lot of these kids who kill themselves are kids who were born into the war. All they've seen is death and war and American soldiers, America, America, America. It's, yeah. How can you move out of that? How can you be like, you know what? No. <laughs> Maybe there's another side, another perspective because they know nothing else and they don't have social media like to see. You know, they just have rubble and whatever is their means of survival. 
in his... It's just a skewed... I think it's just men in power, and women. I'm like, I'm not... But it's just mostly... we got to protect our lands. But <laughs> their, their way of aggression has become so impersonal that they don't... Like, you know when you kill... Because you've got drones that just... And, like, there are people in rooms playing a video game, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. what drone mm-hmm. uh, fighters are. They're just sitting up in a closed room. and So when your target is a map and a dot and you kill other civilians around it, whatever. But, like, yeah. veterans, like, veterans, they feel like, no, man, like, that was meant... Like, they come back and... But drones are just... Poo, poo, poo. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to deal with the... Yeah, or you don't, or you can't sympathize because you can't see the aftermath. Um, the first one I got. That's on your back. Like on the rib. On your rib. Yeah. Okay. Um, ribs. Um, they like I tried to have a me in a souvenir from every country. So the first one I got was in Poland. I went for a comic workshop, and it was a woman, like all women. So and we just talked about what it means being a woman. It was a very good. It was a very good workshop. Like I still remember it. Um, so that was, I think, my first time traveling with women and for art, uh, and I was in a group. So um, the second one I have, I went. It was the first time I traveled solo traveling, mm-hmm. and I went to Barcelona because I applied for this international exhibition, and artists got accepted, and it was a huge thing. I traveled by myself for maybe 10 days. And then the last couple of days, I met the artists. So, and I did really well, I think. <laughs> I traveled all the way, like, I think I traveled like two and a half hours to go see, like, Dolly's house by the ah. beach. And so, I, and the first couple of days, I was horrified. I was like, oh, like, I don't know how to do this. And everyone's looking at me. And then my sister's like, shut up, just, <laughs> just do whatever you want. And it was better. Um, so I got the second tattoo. It's on my ankle. And I went to Finland and Japan, like, right after each other. Like, back to back. A month here and a month there. Um, so I went to Finland because I applied for an art residency. Um, and it was cheap, relatively cheap. So for an entire month, I, and this is, I think, where I got, like, craft, brown craft paper and just started... Um, just drawing for a month because it, I realized that I was out like in a small town called Yautza I think like their population was like 500 at most and uh, it was in the summer so it's the summer so it's the longest day of the year because they're so up north the sun doesn't set mm-hmm. it just mm-hmm. like it's like here's the horizon it'll go down Mm-hmm. And then come up Stay again, there. but it wasn't, yeah. Oh, weird. Kind of so, like Alaska that happens. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, oh. like, just for a couple of hours, you have, like, a sunset-sunrise combo, but it never darkness. <laughs> um, that, so that was, that was really... Wow. That would drive me so I got a small one here on my knee. And then I went to Japan right after. And Japan, it's my biggest, like, my most detailed tattoo. It's actually the arm one. Mm-hmm. I could show you the others, but oh, yeah. okay. wow. this is the wow. Japanese yeah. kabuki mask ah. of Oni, uh-huh. and Oni is like their demons. Mm-hmm. I used to be scared of any mask when I was younger, but um, I like this one because cause once I learned more about the culture of Japan, like 
Um, <laughs> like, their demons aren't, like, evil. Like, they're, they're just mischievous. Mm-hmm. And they drink and they party around a bonfire. <laughs> and <laughs> I think it just proved, like, my fears are a bit... It's, it's just what I... It's my... Uh, what's it called? My own insecurities mirrored onto something else. Rather than realizing people or things are just living its own life. <laughs> Not everyone hates me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pangea. Join us next week as we meet Sandra, who lived in Germany, Poland, and Dubai before moving to Houston. <laughs>